kiddos that didn't go to children's church or nursery, they can they can go now. I just want to start. Uh, actually, I don't see Jackie in here. I think maybe she stepped out for a second. Uh, this is Jackie's, or actually a couple of weeks ago, it was Jackie's three-year anniversary of being on staff here at Byfield. So if you see her today, make sure to tell her you appreciate her. She also just uh, wrapped up her associate's degree um, in the past couple of weeks. So a big congratulations to Jackie there. Years ago, I was talking with a guy friend who was seriously dating a woman. He was sharing about the challenges of meeting this young woman's emotional need. It wasn't that his girlfriend was overly needy. I would actually say she was probably less needy than most. My friend was just expressing the challenge all people that are in serious relationships feel at one time or another. As he shared about his girlfriend, he said something that continues to make me laugh to this day. Those of you that have been here for a long time may have heard me reference this before. I just, I just love this statement so much. He said, I wish I could just write my girlfriend a check. That was his solution that he wanted to adopt to meeting her emotional needs. It wasn't a metaphor. He was dead serious. He wished that he could just give her an amount of money that would make her feel love. For him, writing a check would have been easier than making the emotional investment that his girlfriend required of him. Today, we are going to talk about sacrifices and offerings. In doing so, some might think that God is trying to get you to write a check. Or maybe those of you that are more suspicious will think that I am trying to get you to write a check using God as a reason. Nope, if anybody is concerned, uh, this church is well taken care of through your faithfulness. So thank you for that. But we are going to talk about offerings today. The sacrifices God requires from us, that he expects from us, cannot be accomplished with the stroke of a pen. God wants much more from us. He wants us to love him as he first loved us. Let's turn now to Exodus chapter 13. We will read verses 11 through 16. Those verses can be found in your pew Bible. And will also be projected behind me. Exodus chapter 11, I'm sorry, chapter 13, verses 11 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? 
you shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Today's verses are consistent with the priority God exhibits throughout all of the Bible. He cares about the offerings his people make. The forms those sacrifices take vary in the course of redemptive history. God wanting his people to make sacrificial offerings does not vary. There are underlying themes to the offerings God desires that we are going to explore today using the verses we just read as a starting point. Our main focus will be the fact that God wants offerings as an act of reciprocal love from his people for the love that he has shown them. This was true at the time of Exodus. It continues to be true for us today. The offerings we make, what, how, and why we make them, are acts through which we express our love for God. Everything enjoyed by the people of God has been given them by God. In the verses we just read, the Israelites are coming out of Egypt where they had nothing to truly call their own. Previously, everything belonged to their masters, the Egyptians. They couldn't make any claims of ownership. They had no land. Their time was not their own. Even their own children, even their own children did not truly belong to them. Pharaoh can and did kill them at will. The poverty of the Israelites was at a huge extent. He has given them their lives and their children's lives. They, they no longer belong to the Egyptians. Their time is now their own. Back in verse 36 of chapter 12, God actually caused the Egyptians to give Israelites silver and gold as they left that nation. God is not done blessing Israel. He is taking them to a land, a land that they will be able to call their own. In doing so, he is fulfilling a longstanding promise. We can be empathetic to the Israelites' impoverished slavery, and be happy God has blessed them in ways he did. But it's, it's hard to relate to either experience on a personal level. Pretty much everyone in this room was born with an expectation of self-ownership. 
From the time we came into the world, we were raised in families and a culture that, that told us our lives were to do with as we pleased. Whatever we worked to bring about through our own efforts, was, it was ours and nobody else's. The benefit of not being born into actual slavery, like the Israelites, blinds us to the fact that God is still the source of all the blessings we enjoy. The idea that anything we have belongs to us alone is faulty. Every person is in the same situation the Israelites were in. Everything we have is from God. Some might argue that point. Now, everybody here has sufficient manners to not say anything out loud. But there are those that internally reject the claim that all we have is from God. Take your house. After all, I'm, I'm the one that worked hard for my house. I'm the one that went to school, got a job, saved up, found the house, purchased it, then worked to make it nice. It's my house. While it is true that much of what we have is a product of our own efforts, it is also true that God alone makes it possible for us to make those efforts. Isaiah 42.5 states, God is who gives us breath. Our breath, the basis of our every effort, is not something that belongs to us. It is something that God gives us. What is true of our breath is true of everything. Everything we have comes from God. Even when it comes from our use of what God has given us. It is easy for people to forget where their blessings come from, whether they are former Bronze Age slaves or modern Westerners. The sacrifices described in these verses, they were intended to be an ongoing reminder to the Israelites. The text specifically mentions sheep, donkeys, and people. Sheep were supposed to be sacrificed, whereas donkeys and people were supposed to be redeemed. While there is a logic for why specific animals like donkeys were supposed to be redeemed rather than sacrificed, that's not the point that we need to focus on today. Handing the firstborn over to God through sacrifice or redeeming the firstborn was a symbolic act. The firstborn was more than just one piece of the pie. It should, not be, it should not be thought of as the price of doing business with God or a tax. What has been communicated through the sacrifice is the recognition that everything belongs to God. By doing what these verses command, the Israelites were recognizing God's 
ultimate ownership over all he had blessed them with. Thankfully, God has not instructed Christians today to continue remembering his provision of all we enjoy through the sacrifice of animals. I must say, as the pastor of this church, I am personally glad that it is not my job for you guys to like bring me farm animals and for me to butcher them in front of you, okay? Like, I, that doesn't sound very enjoyable to me. I might have been directed in a different line of work. The fact we no longer sacrifice firstborn animals doesn't mean we no longer need to be intentional about remembering God's provision for us. When we bring our tithes and offerings to the church, we are doing a similar act to what the Israelites were commanded to do in these verses. We are recognizing that everything we have is a blessing from God by turning over a portion of the first part of those blessings to God. For many people, turning over resources to God, whether those resources be firstborn lambs or cash money, gets treated as an obligation. Throughout Israel's history, there were many people that thought they were keeping the command, this command and others like it, because they gave all that was required. These people tried to give the minimum amount that was required. In the book of Malachi, the prophet expresses God's displeasure to the people of Israel for the sacrifices they bring. God accuses the people of despising his name by bringing offerings of inferior quality. They bring lame and blind animals, or they make offerings that have been gained by theft and treachery. When God makes his accusation to the people, they plead ignorance. After all, in their minds, they have fulfilled the obligation God has set upon them. It is not uncommon for the people of Israel to behave as Cain did when he made his offering before murdering his brother Abel. We're not told the specific problem with what Cain brought to God, but it makes it clear in Genesis that God is not pleased. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Later in the New Testament, Jesus also has a lot to say about the various offerings people make. What the Pharisees offer is unsatisfactory. Jesus lights them up in Matthew 23 saying, Woe to you, scribes! And Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining 
a gnat and swallowing a camel. The Pharisees' problem is not failing to do what God commands in their giving. They are hyper-focused on fulfilling the requirements of the law. Neither in the Old Testament or the New is God interested in people just fulfilling obligations. God isn't hungry for the blood of sheep. He, he was never hungry for the blood of sheep. And it's important for us to remember, and I've said this before, but God doesn't really want your money. Like, that's not the point of this. The point is not the obligation. The disposition of the heart with which sacrificial giving happens matters as much to God, is actually, actually more to God than fulfilling the basic requirement of Throughout scripture, you see that when a person's heart is in the right place towards God, fulfilling the basic expectations of God is not a problem. Later in the book of Exodus, God tells the people who feel moved to do so, to bring supplies for the construction of the tabernacle. Gold, silver, bronze, fine stones, and fabrics are all requested. This would have been the Israelites' most prized possessions. They couldn't just like hop on Amazon and order more. But after this request, a big problem arises. The people of Israel give so much of what is requested that Moses must tell them to stop. They didn't give out of a sense of obligation. They gave out of appreciation for God. In the New Testament, Jesus and Paul make clear at different points the type of giving God desires. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. At the end of Mark 12, Jesus observes a widow giving her meager offering at the temple. He comments, this woman has given more than all the others. Who gave much more? The difference is not what she gave, but the heart with which she gave it. None of this is to say we should hold back on giving until our heart is in the right place. Our hearts should change if we give as we should. There is a, a discipline aspect to this. In today's text, it describes a son coming to his father and asking, why are, why are you doing this? Why are you making these sacrifices? And the son tells the father, we should remember when we give 
to the Lord a first portion of what he has given us, why we do it. Ideally, we would give out of a heartfelt appreciation for what God has given us. Sometimes we have to discipline ourselves to do what doesn't come naturally to us. Many of you all know that, I, that I'm married, and periodically, and I'll be having like a little disagreement, right? This happens sometimes in marriage. And Anne will look at me and say, you don't love me. And I'll say, I love you. And she says, you don't, something effective like, you don't really love me. You love me because you have to, right? And we all experience this in marriage sometimes, or in other relationships, you love the person, not because it's fun or easy or enjoyable, but because you're supposed to love them, right? And I dare say there are times when Anne loves me for that same reason, okay? So we don't always just wait until we feel like showing love. Through our own giving, we become more like God. He is the ultimate sacrificial giver. It would have been easy for the Israelites to, to name the things God had given them. We already mentioned some of those things earlier. God gave the people all they needed for a better life. He gave them freedom. He gave them wealth. He's in the process of giving them a land to call their own. He has given and will give the Israelites victory over their enemies. Later at Mount Sinai, God will give them the law so that they can know how to live. That's a lot of, that's a lot of good stuff to receive. All of it pales in comparison to the ultimate gift God gives. God gives the Israelites himself. He gives them his own love and affection. All that other stuff wasn't particularly costly for God. But God gives his love, love, intentional self-sacrifice for another. All the things God does for the Israelites are outworking of his overwhelming love. Everything God gives to Israel is a secondary expression of a deeper commitment. God is giving them himself completely. He wants the Israelites to give themselves to him completely. The true cost of the love God shows his people is not fully communicated in scripture until Jesus arrives. Jesus is described as God's son and the lamb of God. He is what God holds most dear to his own heart. In giving Jesus, God is making the ultimate sacrifice for his people. He is doing so out of love. There is no obligation when it comes to Jesus. Through Jesus, God willingly gives us himself. This doesn't mean this sacrifice was not costly. 
No greater cost has ever been paid in love. God wants us to reciprocate the sacrificial love we have been shown through Christ with sacrificial love of our own. As I stated earlier, God's focus is not what we bring to him. It's not about the money. It's not about the time. It's not about whatever else you give to God. He wants so much more from you. He wants your heart. He wants your life. He wants your all. Our offerings matter to God only because they are an expression of the love we have for Him. God desires we show Him the love we have been showed. We can never equal God's love. What we have to sacrifice isn't close to what God has given up for us in Jesus. As 1 John 4.19 says, We love. Because he has first loved us. The friend that I mentioned in the opening of today's sermon, he wanted to write his girlfriend a check to satisfy his, her emotional needs. This is ridiculous, of course. No woman is actually going to be truly satisfied with the scribble of a pen. It is immensely more silly to think that God would be satisfied with sacrifices made just to fulfill an obligation. God wants our offerings because they are indications of our love for him. He wants us to return in a small way the love he has shown for us. When we make offerings to the Lord, we do so in response to what God has done. Through this act, we remember. Giving, in whatever way we give, is an intentional practice through which we remember our love for God in response to his love to us. While God commands us to make offerings and be generous, the rote act of obeying the command is not what God seeks. God wants you to love him as he has loved you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray for all of us in this room. Uh, it is so easy to get caught up in the routines and the demands of life and that's true in our families, that's true in our jobs, uh, and that's certainly true in our relationship with you as well. I pray that we would remember the love that we have been shown by you through Christ. That we would not take that love for granted. And that we would be motivated to respond to that love by, by showing our love to you. Ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.